welcome to the Prophecy Club. As you know, Leslie and I are going to Malaysia to speak, and in the process, I've tried my best to make a lot of broadcasts in advance, but I just can't make enough of them. I'm going to get some help from David Phillips also, but in the meantime, we're going to have to play some audio of the DVDs. And out of the over 300 DVDs that we've made, I've chosen the ones by Michael Rood because I think that the church mostly needs to learn more about the feasts, and that's probably one of the best ones talking on the feast that I know of. So here's the offer, then I'll explain what the DVDs are. We're offering you six discs valued at $160 for a gift of $40, but the best deal is get six discs and watch them at watchprophecyclub.com for only $10. Yeah, they can watch all six of them for only $10, and of course you can get signed up for watchprophecyclub.com for $20 a month or $200 a year. So here's the scoop on it. We're offering you Prophecy in the Spring and Fall Feast. That's a four-disc set by Michael Rood. We're also offering you Fall Feasts in Prophecy by Doug Hamp. And my DVD, 17 Secrets in the Feast and the Trumpets. Again, six DVD discs valued $160 for a gift of $40. And you order the discs at prophecyclub.com. It's called the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer. However, the best deal is watch all six of them for a gift of $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. You'll have access to the Fall Feasts offer of four titles immediately at WatchProphecyClub.com. But of course, the best deal is you can watch over 200 titles for a gift of $20 a month recurring or $200 a year recurring, and you can watch all of them anytime you want to, including the new Sevenfold Miracle Crusade, which is not going to be offered on DVD. It's only going to be at WatchProphecyClub.com. So, order the discs at ProphecyClub.com. Watch the 200 titles for $20 a month, $200 a year at WatchProphecyClub.com. Or get the Feasts in Prophecy gift offer at ProphecyClub.com for a gift of $40. Or you can watch all of them, all six of them, for a gift of only $10 at WatchProphecyClub.com. little complicated. Call us, 785-266-1112, and we will explain more if you have a question. So let me explain what the DVDs are. First of all, in my opinion, I think that probably Michael Rood is one of the best, if not the best, at explaining the feasts. One of the revelations I received, which is in my new book, Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, was that Jesus did not fulfill all of the spring feasts. He was not here. As you recall, he ascended 10 days before Pentecost. The feasts are not days to have a party. They are God's appointment days, meaning that when God does major events, he always does them on his feast days. Most especially, they are a picture of the last seven months before Jesus returns. They lay out the two returns, I said the two returns of Jesus, one are first fruits as a lamb, 50 days later his crowning at the marriage feast, and then his final return on trumpets as the line of the tribe of Judah to burn the tares. Michael Rood probably does one of the best jobs I've ever seen in explaining the feast, which is why I've chosen to play his audio of his DVDs today. Michael tells the story of how Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts at his coming, as I said I don't believe he did. I think it stopped on first fruits. That's our only difference. But other than that, I think he's right on. And it's very important that you learn all you can about these feasts because they help you to understand Bible prophecy. Then we also are offering Doug Hemp's DVD, The Fall Feasts in Prophecy. He says there are seven feasts of the Lord. 
We know Jesus died on Passover. During the Feast of Unleavened Bread, he was in the tomb. On first fruits, he arose. Fifty days later, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. He'll also explain the parable of the fig tree in Matthew 24 and demonstrates that we are living at the end of the generation, which will see the budding of the fig tree. Then my DVD is part of the offer, 17 Secrets in the Feasts and the Trumpets. This recording contains the top six revelations I received from memorizing the book of Revelation. In the order of importance, they are the next anointing of Jesus, who are the two witnesses, is not Enoch and Elijah, what is the morning star, seven amazing facts about the 144,000, secrets in the seven feasts and trumpets, who appears before the great white throne, and who appears for the Jesuit seat of Christ, the kings and priests in New Jerusalem, what are and who sits on the other thrones, and what are the other books. So that's four titles, six discs, for a value of $160 at prophecyclub.com for a gift of $40 at watchprophecyclub.com for a gift of $10. But the best deal is just join Watch Prophecy Club. 20 bucks a month, $200 a year. You can watch now over 200, almost 300 titles. Now let's go listen to Michael Rood in Prophecies in the Spring Feasts of the Lord. The written oracles, the holy scriptures, which are the writings of those prophets, they were committed to Israel's keeping. And we see that throughout history that Israel has done a far superior job than any other culture in maintaining the purity of the scriptures. In fact, in the Torah, which is the, are the five books of Moses, there still remains an equidistant letter sequence in the first five books of the Bible, which in Genesis, every 50th letter, you go through the book of Genesis, and it spells out Torah, 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 Torah. In Exodus, it spells out Torah in equidistant letter sequences, every 50th letter. But in Deuteronomy and Numbers, it spells Torah backwards, pointing to the central book, which is the book of Leviticus, in which every seventh letter in the book of Leviticus is yod Hey vav Hey, yod Hey vav Hey. So whether you read it forward or backward, it spells out the name Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. It is God's signature upon his Torah. And the Hebrew scriptures to this very day still maintain the same equidistant letter sequence. 3,500 years later, not a letter out of place. Now, could you say that about every English translation of the Bible? That not one letter is out of place? Of course not. Some of the translations are absolutely ludicrous. But yet there is one Torah, there is one Hebrew text, and that maintains the purity. And that is what was committed to Israel, and they maintained that better than the Greeks, than the Latin, than the English, than the, than the French, or anyone else, because it was committed to them. And just as Paul went on to say, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It says, Israel is the Father's beloved, and the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What he committed to them remains in their hands even to this very day. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles, but that is just blindness in part. Shaul, Paul, was not blind. Now we see that Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said that, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Now when Paul was writing to Timothy, he was not referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They didn't even exist at that time. 
What he was referring to was the Torah, the five books of Moses. Now, the Torah is described in the scripture as, as the fence around God's people. That's how the prophets describe it. It is the fence around God's people. It's like a wall around God's people. And as God's people are inside the commandments of God, they are under God's protection. They are within his, his walls and his fence of protection. But the prophets describe false prophets coming along and busting down the wall making a breach in the wall in which now God's people are wandering outside of his commandments and they are getting hurt because of it. Then the prophets come in and they stand in the wall, in the breach, and they say, this is where the wall was. This is where it was. No one was supposed to leave God's commandments. In fact, you're all out there. Everyone get back inside. A prophet's job was not to foretell the future. A prophet's job was to point the way back, stand in the breach and say, point the way back, come back to God's Torah, come back to his instructions. Now, if you don't do it, then I'm going to foretell your future, and it's not a real pretty picture. Then, of course, the prophets foretold the future. But it was all dependent upon whether Israel heard and repented and came back to God's commandments or if they lived outside of his commandments. And so it was th- these scriptures that the, the Torah is the wall around God's people. The prophets pointed the way back, and so the prophets are literally Torah in themselves. The word Torah, as it's translated into the English as law, um, it, it can be kind of a, a cumbersome interpretation. Because the word law, as soon as I say, it's the law, that just warms everyone's heart, doesn't it? Immediately, you picture blue flashing lights, prison bars, uh, shackles on your wrist. You have the right to remain silent. Everything you say can and will be held against you in the court of law. That's what comes to mind. But the Hebrew is Torah. And Torah means God's instructions. And in the New Testament, Paul says that the Torah of God is just, it's righteous, it's holy, and it's good. What isn't? Natural man. He has enmity against God's Torah. He doesn't even want to subject himself to the commandments of God. He wants to be completely in rebellion. But a person who has the enmity slain, the enmity against the Torah and commandments slain, then in love, he just wants to respond. Just like the Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, well, you put it that way. Thank you. I'd, I'd love to. Thank you. And so it is that the, the, the Torah is like honeycomb. It is sweet to the taste. It's holy. It's righteous. And it's good. And it is this that Paul is speaking to Timothy from a child. You've known these holy scriptures. You've known the Torah from a youth which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. This is what he is speaking of. He goes on to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What scripture is he speaking about here? The Torah. And, of course, the prophets pointing the way back to the Torah. He's not talking about the New Testament scriptures. He's speaking that the Torah is profitable for doctrine. And here you have one of the main differences between a Hebrew mindset and a Greek mindset. The word doctrine is not theology. It's not what you sit in a pew and think. Doctrine is what you do. Just as it says in James, show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. 
It, it can just be your theology, what you're thinking. But what you actually do shows what you really believe. It says the devil believes in God. What's the big deal there? He's not obedient. He doesn't keep his commandments, doesn't subject himself to, to God. But it is that doctrine is what we do. We can disagree with each other in our theology on, on many things. But what we do, we still do his word and do his commandments. And it is the Torah that's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. And it's given by inspiration of God. Now, I'm not saying that the New Testament scriptures aren't given by inspiration of God. Make no mistake, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that what he is talking about here is the Torah and the prophets. That's all that existed. That's what Timothy was raised with all of his life. Shaul reasoned with them in the synagogues out of the scripture, it says in the Acts of the Jewish Apostles, 17.2. Now, that does look a little bit strange on the screen there, the Acts of the Jewish Apostles, 17.2, because you notice I added the word Jewish in the title of the book, The Acts of the Apostles. But did I do it accurately? Yes, because all the apostles were Jewish. So I just want to help you, you know, make the shift a couple of thousand years back to where, just as Paul said, to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. What those first century Jewish believers walked in with the power of God, we have not seen happen in our day and time. And that is why he said that all those who are in Asia have forsaken me. And to earnestly contend for that faith once delivered to the saints. Because what was delivered to us? What we have inherited from our forefathers is not clean. There's a lot of paganism mixed in with it, and we have to very earnestly contend if we are going to go back to the purity of the love of God and obedience to God. So Shaul reasoned with them out of the scriptures. What scriptures did he use to reason with them in the synagogue and to teach that Yahshua was Messiah? Did he use the book of Romans? Can you imagine it? And he says, and the reason it is true is because I wrote it right here in this book to the Romans. That would go over real big, wouldn't it? No, he had to use the Torah because the Torah is are the scriptures which are able to make one wise unto salvation. They are the, the scriptures that show us what the Messiah must accomplish, and it is the Torah that proves that Yahshua is Messiah. Apollos convinced the Jews by the scriptures that Jesus was Messiah. What scriptures did Apollos use? The Torah, the prophets. That's all that existed at that time. As it says, the Bereans searched the scriptures daily, whether those things that that Shaul taught, whether they were true or not. Now, many times I'll use uh, Paul's uh, Hebrew name, Shaul. There's nothing wrong with the name Shaul. It's uh, uh, just that uh, there is no uh, sheen in the Greek language. And so there's no way to do a direct translation over into uh, the Greek language, like my name. My name is Michael in Hebrew. It's Michael in English. It's Miguel in, uh, in Spanish. It's Mikel in Russian and Michelle in French. It sounds a little bit different depending on the culture, but it's the same name, Michael. And so Shaul, when he became a follower of the Jewish Messiah, he wasn't given a Greek name. Whenever someone was given a new name, it was another good Hebrew name, a good Jewish name. And so uh, sometimes I'll say Shaul, sometimes I'll say Paul, just so that you know that we're talking about the same person, okay? So Shaul 
it says that uh, the Bereans searched the scriptures daily, whether those things that Shaul taught, whether they were so or not. What scriptures did the Bereans search to prove what he was saying was true? The Torah, the Torah and the prophets. That's all that existed. And if you are going to prove what Paul speaks, whether it's true or not, you've got to take it right back to the Torah and be able to show it right out of the Torah. See, what has happened is that Paul's writings and his teachings have been taken completely out of context of God's Word and twisted around and have not been taken back to the Torah to show exactly where he's quoting it from so that we understand him. And so his words have been wrestled into 4,000 different denominations in the West, and the people don't even understand that he's a, a, a Hebrew rabbi, and he's interpreting the Torah and teaching the Torah. Our beloved brother Paul, this is what Peter says. This is such a beautiful statement that he makes. Our beloved brother Paul hath written unto you some things hard to be understood. Can anyone relate with Peter on this one? That Paul writes some things hard to be understood? Yes, we're, we're like Peter. We're, we're more like fishermen. Shaul was a brilliant scholar. And uh, it says that, that he has written some things that are hard to be understood. And they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle these things that he's written as they do also the other scriptures and they wrestle them to their own destruction. What are they unlearned and unstable in? They're unlearned in the Torah. They can't take Shaul's writings right back to the Torah and make it all fit and make it make sense. Instead, they take it and they wrestle it around their own misunderstandings, wrestling it into 4,000 different denominations that every week hammer on each other and tell each other that they're going to hell. Just nonsense. Nonsense. Because they completely take it out of the context of God's Word and they wrestle it around their own 20th century Gentile misunderstandings. And he went on to say, Beware, you beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And the word wicked, the reason why it's the word wicked, because it means twisted. Just as a candle wick is twisted, that's what it comes from. And when you twist the scripture around your own misunderstanding, that's what it means about being led away by the error of the wicked. Now, what did the Messiah himself say about the error of the wicked? He says, you do err not knowing the Torah. That's what he's referring to. You err not knowing the Torah. So tonight, we are going to go to the Torah. We're going to go right back to the beginning, and we're going to put the Scriptures in the New Testament in the context of the Torah so that we can understand what Paul writes and we can understand the Feast of the Lord. Because Paul, as he said, near the end of the book of Acts, he said, I am truly a Jew. I am verily a Jew, brought up in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the strictest manner of the Torah received from our fathers. Now, for Shaul to be raised up at the feet of Gamaliel is a big statement because Gamaliel is still one of the most beloved rabbis in all the history of Israel. And to be taught according to the strictest matter of the Torah at the feet of Gamaliel means that by the time that Shaul was 20 years old, he would have had to have learned all five books of Moses, every word verbatim, completely memorized all five books of Moses. But yet he said that I was more zealous for the Torah than any of my peers. Shaul was a flower of his generation, probably the most intelligent man in the entire kingdom of Israel at that time, raised at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, by the time he was 20 years old, now we see 
that uh, there are a few people in the room that uh, have reached at least double that age. Uh, I'm over twice that age. And uh, uh, if you're that, that age, you, you could raise your hand. And how many of you also, now that you're twice that old, have now memorized the entire Torah verbatim and not making a single mistake? I have to lower my hand, too, because I, too, find that I was not raised at the feet of Gamaliel. I was raised at the feet of the Lone Ranger, Roy Rogers and Rin Tin Tin. I know who's faster than a speeding bullet and able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. I know about the strange visitor who came to earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. But you know, we have found that in our research that among the first century Jewish followers of the Messiah, Yahshua, that not one of them wasted as much as one hour a week in front of the television. For those of you who may be a little bit historically challenged, television didn't exist back then. But we see that, again, it's a different culture with different values. And I have been humbled by sitting around the table with 12-year-old Jewish boys in, in Jerusalem, as they would not just quote chapters out of the Torah, but in fluent Hebrew, quote entire sections of the Torah, and then be able to discuss it in fluent English. I don't know ministers in America who have memorized the, 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 the scriptures and can converse with the intelligence of 12-year-old Jewish boys who have been raised in the culture because they've been raised from a youth to know God's Word, which are the Scriptures which are able to make one wise in his salvation. And sometimes the blindness in part that happens to us because of the traditions that we inherit, the doctrines and commandments which have been put upon us, that as we fight our way out from under these things, then our eyes begin to open up. But there is going to be something that happens soon that is going to shake the earth and the blindness in part that Shaul spoke of as one of the most intelligent rabbis in his interpretation of the Torah, he knew that blindness in part has happened to Israel for a specific purpose, and today we're going to understand some of these things. Paul cried out, this is again at the book of the end of the book of the Acts, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee the son of a Pharisee. He wasn't ashamed of being a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the ultra-conservatives of their day, the ultra-right-wing conservatives. And, of course, he's pitting himself right there against the, the Sadducees, which, of course, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were so sad, you see. But it was Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, which are spoken of, which were also Pharisees. Pharisees does not mean an evil entity. It's just that we see in the Gospels that some of the Pharisees did this. Some of the Pharisees did that. It was never where you can lump everyone in a group all together and say that everyone is evil. There were some things that some did that were not right, but these are the kind of things that we are to understand. Now, we look at the other thing. We talked about the, the oracles, the scriptures that were committed to Israel and how they have maintained those scriptures. And the, those are the scriptures which are able to make one wise into salvation. And this is what the first century believers were raised in the Torah and understood these things. Now we're going to look at what Stephen said concerning the living oracles that were given to us by our fathers. Again, 
the word oracle, logion communication, and these are the living oracles, and these are dealing with the feast of the Lord. The feast of the Lord are the living oracles that were committed to Israel's keeping. And the feast are the shadow pictures of the things that the Messiah must fulfill. And here it is that we begin seeing this. It is after, near the end of the, the gospel record, in which now this is after the record in which the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And two of the disciples, Cleopas and another disciple, who were earlier in Jerusalem with the assembly of all the, uh, of all the disciples behind closed doors because they were afraid of the religious leaders. They had just killed their leader just a few days before. And now these men in this group were so depressed. Now re- remember, these men are in their, their mid-age now. They've sold everything. They've sold their businesses. They've left their, their parents and their families, left their jobs. They've given everything to the poor, and they've been following Yahshua of Nazareth around. They have believed that he was the Messiah, and now their lives are shattered. Cleopas and one of the other disciples are fed up. They slam the door, they walk out of Jerusalem, and they're on their way to Emmaus. It's the first day of the week, and it's time to just go back into the world and try to put the the broken pieces together. As they're walking along, they're having a very heavy conversation. They are heartbroken. They are depressed. And this stranger comes up behind them. They don't recognize him, but we find out later that it is the resurrected Messiah in his resurrected body, and he disguises himself so that they don't recognize who he is. And as they're walking along talking, he comes up behind them and says, Excuse me, gentlemen. But what is this conversation you're having? Why are you so depressed? And Cleopas answered and said, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which are come to pass in these last days? And the stranger said unto them, What things? Like he didn't know? What things? And as they walked along the way, that is when he he then said, well, what happened next? He is drawing out every detail that he can get them to remember. Well, tell me more about this. And then extracting every single detail from them as they walk along the way, and they're telling him now everything that had taken place that last week, and right down to the subtle nuances of everything that had transpired. And then, finally, Cleopas just broke and said, and we trusted, we trusted that he was a Messiah. And the stranger said, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the Nevim, the prophets, have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things which you have just spoken of and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded unto them in all these scriptures, these things concerning himself. He took them right back down that road that they had just walked down and told them that everything that they had just told them, he showed them right in the scriptures how every single detail was written. I'm going to interrupt the broadcast right there. In 2017, I memorized the book of Revelation just as a simple project. Surprisingly, I began to receive information on 30 revelations and two visions beyond what is found in the Bible. God showed me a secret door, which is based upon a single word found in Revelation and Leviticus, linking the feasts to the prophecies. When linked, a person enters into an understanding of Bible prophecy not previously known. Even though I've been in the world of Bible prophecy for 40 years, frankly, I did not know anything of what is in this book. 
One prophetic word described it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open to you. It will turn so many books written on the end time message into obsolete books. That's this book. Topics are Jesus returns on what feast? The secret of the feasts. Who are the two witnesses? What is the morning star? The judgment seat explained. The great white throne explained. The nations explained. What is the shout? And the parables explained. Seals, trumpets, and vials go in what order? Two amazing prophecy charts on the back flap, 12 inches by 9 inches. Imagine a book on prophecy that brings a fresh, new, accurate perspective. I don't want you to get one book for $20. I want you to get five books for $30 or 10 for 55 It's called The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. Available at prophecyclub.com. The Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy. One for 20 No, 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 don't do that. You want to get five for 30 or the best deal, 10 for 55 Prophecyclub.com. Each single Prophecy Club DVD is a gift of $30. In that you know the internet is going away one day, it is a good idea to actually have the disc. However, at WatchProphecyClub.com you can have instant access to over 200 titles on a recurring monthly subscription of $20 or yearly for $200 at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's $6,000 worth of information at WatchProphecyClub.com. That's WatchProphecyClub.com. What a deal.